guys and welcome back to another episode of the Seeking Truth podcast. I hope your week has been really well. Today is a continuation of last week's episode which is about repentance and forgiveness. Um, Last week we looked at King David and we had a look at a story in Chronicles about him and how he was counting all the people of Israel and wanting to um, see how how many people were in his army and God correcting his heart. That That was an issue of pride and working with him on repentance and forgiveness and um, a beautiful story of the lengths that David went to to show God that he was sorry and that he was repenting for his heart and for his sin. Today we're going to look at a different story in the Bible but still following on from the same themes of repentance and forgiveness and for this story we're going to look at Jeremiah and we're going to look at a few different chapters because there's a beautiful story about the story of the people of Israel and Judah who God is very unhappy with because they have been worshipping other gods they have been sinning they have been doing things their own way and that's making God really frustrated because essentially they've abandoned him and they've abandoned his ways So why don't we start in Jeremiah 11? This chapter is called The Covenant is Broken in the NIV version. So I won't read word for word parts of these chapters because the chapters are very long, obviously, um, and we're talking about a lot of different things today. But what we will do is just pinpoint different verses. So this is Jeremiah talking to God and God is saying to them, listen to the terms of this covenant and tell them to the people of Judah and to those that live in Jerusalem. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant. The terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron smelting furnace. I said, obey me and do everything I command you and you will be my people and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your ancestors to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today. I answered, Amen, Lord. The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but that they did not keep. So this is God talking to Jeremiah about him and the promise that he's given his people who were kept slaves in Egypt. And he promised them, follow me out of Egypt and I'll bring you to this land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land, which took them 40 years to get there from through the desert with Moses. And this is all written about in the book of Exodus. So God is saying, though, that he ended up taking them to this land He gave them commandments. He told them things that they were and were not able to do um, to obey him. He told them that he would curse them if they did not obey him. And he took them and he fulfilled the oath of taking them to the land of milk and honey. But time and time again throughout this whole situation, they followed the stubbornness of their own hearts and they did not obey him. And so he's talking to Jeremiah about this, who is a prophet now, years later, and God is talking to him about this and about his people that he loves and that these are his promised people and that they are still not obeying him. 
God continues in verse 9. It says, The Lord said to me, There is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors, who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. So he's saying they've broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. And they've done this not just once, not just twice, multiple times over the course of this whole thing. And he's kind of reached the point now where he is understanding that this is a heart posture that they have, that their hearts are towards evil rather than towards God, that they're worshipping other gods, they're not worshipping him. And so he's saying, I, I'm going to bring upon them a punishment. And he's saying to Jeremiah in verse 14, do not pray for these people or offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. So he's like, I've thought about this for a very long time. I've made up my mind. Don't pray to me asking me to save them. I will not listen to you. And on top of that, God says, verse 18, the Lord revealed their plot to me. I knew it for at that time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. So Jeremiah, the Lord revealed to Jeremiah that they were not only um, turning their heart against God and sinning against God, but they were actually plotting to kill Jeremiah and to have his name be like removed basically from the memory of all people that they would never mention him again and he's saying you judge so righteously you test people's hearts and minds and if you're saying that these people deserve to be punished i am with you because they are plotting against me to kill me as well even though i've done nothing wrong so that's basically the summary of chapter 11 so chapter 12 jeremiah is talking he says you are always righteous lord when i bring a case before you Yet I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You've planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. So he's asking them, how come these people who do so wrong by you, uh, who always parade you but never actually have heart towards you, why are they prospering? And yet me, you know me, Lord, you see me and you test my thoughts drag them off like sheep to be butchered, set them apart. How long will this land lie parched under their, you know, under their rule? And God answers him in verse five. And he says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble and save country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you and they've raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that the other birds of prey surround and attack? So he's saying, this is talking about Israel now. He's like, yes, I hear what you're saying and I will forsake my house and I will turn my back against her because she's become like a lion and roaring at me and she's abandoning me and she's not loving me, even though I've loved her and I've done so much for her. And so he's kind of answering Jeremiah's 
complaint about why are these people prospering and nothing's bad is happening to them. God's saying, don't worry, their due is coming to them. Getting to the point of the story now is that God admits that he loves them. God admits that these are his people, that he has affection towards them, even after all of the wrong that they're doing. And he is angry enough to punish them. But if you flip to verse 14 of chapter 12, he says, This is what the Lord says. As for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. Verse 15. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, As surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, then they will be established among my people. So he's saying, even after this, even after punishing them, I will then turn around and have compassion towards them. And furthermore, if they then learn my ways again and they start teaching in my name again, I will establish them among my people, among my beloved ones. And it's that turnaround of God saying, even though they've done all these horrible things for a very long time. They haven't just been disobedient to him once. They haven't just sinned against God once. It's been for the whole time since he's brought them out of Egypt. They've turned their back against him. And each and every time he's forgiven their sins. And this time he's not just forgiving it. He is punishing them. He is letting them know he's angry and upset. But even after he punishes them, he's then going to have compassion and forgiveness upon them again which is amazing to think that God will put up with so much from us that he, his love is so everlasting that even for generations and generations of people being disobedient, worshiping other gods, plotting against his prophets to kill them, that he will punish them once and then forgive them and have compassion upon them again and restore them back into his people and into his loved ones. If we flip to now chapter 15, this is talking about God. Again, he is talking about how he can't be convinced out of what he's about to do. And he says, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to these people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. And if they ask you, where shall we go? Tell them this is what the Lord says. Those destined for death to death, those for the sword to the sword, those for starvation to starvation, those for captivity to captivity. And he is talking now in verse 5, who will have pity on you, who will mourn for you, who will stop to ask how you are. So he's saying, you guys have stood for yourself for so long that people around you don't love you, that other tribes, other people, other countries don't have compassion or love towards you. You're by yourself because you've been caring only for yourself for so long and so people won't mourn for you people won't stop to pray for you and I won't be convinced out of what I'm planning to do the rest of chapter 15 then goes on to describe the things that would happen so the mother of seven will grow faint and breathe her last even though she's been faithful and being fruitful and multiplying and having seven children she won't be spared and I'll put the survivors to the sword before their enemies the people who survive this terrible thing won't be spared and the whole chapter is saying you know all of these things are going to happen to them this is where it gets beautiful verse 19 
This is Lord talking to Jeremiah about the tribe of Israel. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you. God is saying to Jeremiah, I will make you a wall against them, trying to draw you down to their level. But you will be there and these people will turn to you. And if they repent, I'll restore them and they will serve me and I will rescue and save them. He is saying that we need to have that heart posture. If we are repenting for our sins, that we need to come to him, to surrender to him. He's always been there for us and he will have compassion upon us. Like he said in the previous chapter, Um, even after he punishes us, he will have compassion upon us still and be there. But we need to take ownership and responsibility for when we've done wrong and for when we've sinned. And we really need to humble our hearts and we need to surrender to him and come to him to say, I'm sorry. There is a difference between recognizing when we've sinned and we've done wrong and we make a promise to God that we won't do it again or like we recognize that what we did is wrong. But then there's that next step of going to God and saying, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I know I was wrong. Please forgive me. And that's very vulnerable to put yourself in that position. And oftentimes that's the step that people don't want to do because they don't want to feel that pressure from God, that wrath from God, because it is a very vulnerable position to put yourself in front of someone to say, I'm sorry, and I know I've done wrong and to kind of feel that correction over it. But God has compassion upon us and he wants us to have that heart. And he continually says all throughout the Bible, and we've talked about this last week and this week, that all he wants is for us to come to him and surrender and repent for what we've done, to say, I've walked away, I'm so sorry, and to show him, and he says, by serving him, by uttering worthy words that aren't worthless, that you're showing him that your heart posture has changed, that you're coming back to him, that you recognize that his way is the true way. And he will forgive us and he'll restore us, he says, and he'll rescue us and save us. And I think this is exactly the model that we need to have when we do something wrong that we sin by God accidentally or intentionally. Maybe we're deliberately disobeying him. Maybe we sin in the moment because we're caught up in temptation. But the key is that God knows our heart about whether or not we're sorry and we regret that decision. But it's not enough to know that he knows our heart and to continue living our life. It's not enough to know that he forgives us. We need to go to him to seek forgiveness. We need to go to him to repent because it's in that act of surrender that he will restore his compassion towards us, that he will restore us and our position in the world. If we continue to sin and we continue to say, it's okay, God forgives me, our heart is going to move further and further away from God because we're not correcting those underlying 
thoughts or the underlying position of our heart that's causing us to sin in the first place. And that only comes from surrendering to God, repenting to God, saying that you're sorry, seeking forgiveness, making a physical action against that repentance to really solidify in your mind uh, the reason why this was such a big deal. When you sacrifice something like David did, where he sacrificed a huge amount of money, a huge amount of time to build this altar, sacrifice then on the altar, that's an act that he's associated now with that repentance. And that size of that act will always remind him of the size of his sin. If we're not making an act of repentance after our sin, we will always associate the size of that sin as being more mediocre than it actually is. And if we continue to live in that sin and live in that position of I've sinned, but it's okay, God's forgiven me and not showing an act of repentance and not seeking forgiveness for those sins, our heart posture will change to be that the sin is not a big deal. And over time, we'll become numb to that sin and continue to sin because it's become part of our normal way of life. We really need to get good at again coming to God being vulnerable in front of him saying we're sorry for our sin and sacrificing something and promising him something in exchange for our sorrow for our repentance and that's going to be the act that's going to change our heart and change our heart posture towards God and that's going to be the act that's going to save us from his punishment and increases compassion and increase our position with him again. I think a really another profound part of this story, though, is that God is constantly saying to Jeremiah, like, it doesn't matter what you do and doesn't matter what you pray to me about these people. I've made up my mind for God to get to that position of I've made up my mind that I need to punish these people. They must have sinned over and over again. And like he said, it's probably been hundreds of years at this point by the time Jeremiah is around after he's brought them out of the desert and then now in the promised land. It's been hundreds of years of them sinning against him for him to say, I won't listen to your prayers anymore. That shows you the amount of mercy and grace God has towards your sins and towards us being able to pray for others' sins, for God to have compassion against their sins. God knows their heart. God knows the posture of their heart and knows the posture of our heart. But he is encouraging us to pray for their sins, to pray for his mercy and compassion against others who are sinning because that is his heart. He doesn't want to punish us, although sometimes he knows it's needed and it's good. He's likely made this decision that they need to be punished because they're not learning any other way. He, like Jeremiah is saying, they're still living fruitful and bountiful lives. The threat of not having eternal life is not enough for them now to not sin because even though God is saying, don't worry, they will eventually die. They are destined for death in uh, chapter 12 where God's saying, don't worry, I will forsake them. That threat of not having eternal life with God isn't sufficient anymore and God needs to punish them with the plagues of the covenant, like he said. He needs to punish them with a way that they will know it's from him rather than from the world by punishing them with the plagues of the covenant that he's created. 
But that is also encouraging to us that God has that much mercy and compassion upon us. that He would reach that level of grace towards us for hundreds of years before making that decision to act righteously against us. Now, I feel like that could change depending on each person's life and God can read our hearts and our minds and he may correct us in different ways. I mean, obviously sending plagues of the covenant is a a very large deal, right? And we don't know what other smaller corrections and smaller punishments he's tried to inflict prior to this. But that's the level that is reached before he inflicts a large punishment on that scale. And so we can understand that that's God's heart, that if we ever do feel punished by God, that it's taken a long point for him to reach that decision of doing that and that should only increase our want to repent to him for what we've done because we know that it must have been a lot of sinning and a lot of disobedience for him to reach that point to punish us and again the level of our repentance reflects the size that we understand the sin and so if you're recognizing that Our level of sin must be great because he's punishing us. Repent to that level. And if you're not understanding what you've done, ask him. He knows that you want to understand more what you've done wrong so that you won't do it again. And he will answer you and he'll show you. And I'm not saying that that's going to be easy and not going to be painful for you to understand that you've been disobedient or you've been seeking something else over him or someone else or seeking yourself over him. That's not going to be painless, but it is going to be insightful and it is going to help you grow closer to him and have a deeper relationship with him. These things are removing his loved ones from him. And he says that I'm going to forsake them, even though I love them, even though they're my loved people, I will forsake them. Their actions are removing themselves from his love. His love is still there. His love hasn't changed, but their actions are causing that distance between them and God, and they're feeling inflicted from his punishment. But if they still turn around and repent, he will still have compassion upon them. He will still restore them back into his love, he says, back into his loved people. So we are never so far removed that we cannot be restored. We are never so far removed that we cannot come to him on our knees and say we're sorry and seek his forgiveness for something. We are never so far away that we cannot feel his love when we come to him and seeking it wholeheartedly and not in a self-seeking way. So I hope that these two messages have encouraged you guys that repent and seek forgiveness for all the things in your life that you know are outside God's will, that you know you've been disobedient on. And God is depending on you to make that move. He will not force anyone to say sorry and he'll not force anyone into his love and into relationship with him. That's a choice that we need to make. And we need to take that first step of seeking forgiveness, of repenting for our sins, of coming to him to show him that we're sorry. And this can apply to other people in our lives as well. If we have a fight or a disagreement or an argument with a brother or sister in Christ, it says if you're going into the house of Lord to worship and you remember that you have something against your brother, go and apologize to them. We need to be the ones who take that first step and first action. Even if we were the ones who didn't do wrong in that situation, we need to go to them to seek forgiveness and repentance and to be the first ones to lay down 
and become vulnerable in front of them. And that can be really hard, especially if you feel that you weren't at fault, especially if you feel that the other person should be making a move. But it starts with us. We can't control the actions or the heart of another person. We need to come. We need to seek repentance and forgiveness. We need to do something. The size of our action of repentance shows how sorry we are. If you're really sorry for something, show a larger action that you're sorry. That's how people are going to understand that you're sorry. Words words aren't enough. Words don't mean anything if you don't change something, if you don't have an action associated with it. I can say that I'm sorry for hitting you, but if I don't say I'm, I promise I won't hit you again, how do I truly know that you're sorry for hitting me? I, I might feel that you're going to hit me again. If I say I'm sorry for hurting you for, I'm sorry for not including you in this thing, but I don't say that I will make a more conscious decision to include you in things next time or I promise that I'll reach out to you before next time that you are included if I'm not making those promises that other person is going to feel like I don't mean it when I say I'm sorry for not including you we need to show with our actions how sorry we are we need to show with our actions the size of the problem as we perceive it and even if the other person you feel has made the poor move in the relationship, you can still come to them and be vulnerable and say, I'm willing to work on this with you. I'm willing to forgive you. I'm sorry for feeling frustrated and angry at you and for getting upset and opening that conversation and, and allowing them the chance to also repent and say that they're sorry for their decisions these are principles that we can apply in our life with anyone family friends brothers and sisters in christ these are things that we can apply across our whole life and we'll feel better for them we'll feel better when things are resolved and i'm not saying that you should become a doormat and let people walk all over you i'm not saying that at all but having that heart position of surrendering of repentance of forgiveness and always seeking to restore love between two people is a lot better than always holding on to toxic hatred or a grudge or feeling like you're assuming how they're feeling or you're assuming what their actions are or the thoughts behind their actions rather than discussing it and both apologizing and both saying you're sorry. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you guys. I hope that it helped to inspire you to do something today, whether that's seeking repentance from God or seeking repentance from another person. But I just pray right now that God is with you and that he encourages you in your heart to do those really difficult things that I know we really don't want to do. And I know they're scary and they make us feel so vulnerable, but God is with us and God seeks love and restoration in all his people both between his people and between us and God and so he will be with you and he'll guide you on the words to say he'll guide you on the actions and remember that the size of your actions of your repentance demonstrates the size that you think the sin is and the size that the sin was and your perception of that and so the more sorry you are, the more your action of repentance should be and the more your sacrifice and surrender should be. So I hope you guys have a fabulous week and I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Bye.